when when Joy was a baby and we taught her baby signs, she did not cry in tantrum a lot because she had a way to communicate. Wow. So you guys were such cool parents. We were the cool parents. Now, granted, uh, <laughs> out of all the signs we taught her, she pretty much only used three. <laughs> well, that's three more than my kids learned. I'm, I'm hungry. I want more, and I'm done. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Exactly. That's, that's all. And I just wet my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 72 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft-brewed pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. You can watch us live Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Eastern at pubtheology.com. And of course, you can listen to us anytime, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsors. We are sponsored by Casual Priest, maker of fine clergy wear based out of Sweden. Their clergy tops are tailored, modern, confident, stylish, and you can win free clergy apparel from Casual Priest if you call in. Leave a message on our Casual Priest hotline, 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830. has been a Casual Priest hotline drought. Uh, we, we we are knowing that drought will break in 2018, and we will be getting calls every week. Gotta, we have to set our intention. We didn't we didn't do a good job of that, so we're setting our intention for calls every week, mm. even 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 some holiday well wishes on our casual priest hotline. And you can also join the conversation anytime on on the social mediums using the hashtag PT Live. And we are also sponsored by Wink Wine Club. That's W I N C. They are wines that are superbly crafted and delivered right to your door. You don't have to go to the wine shop. The wine shop comes to you, and you can try them out at trywink.com slash ptlive. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash ptlive. And get $20 off your first order, and some other savings are there for you as well. Get some wine. Do it, do it. And speaking of uh, Casual Priest, I noticed that I was... Uh... Featured on the uh, Casual Priest uh, Instagram and, and Facebook page uh, over the weekend, I saw that you were you were you were rocking that you were rocking that top. You know, it's so funny that uh, over the holidays, uh, I was having a discussion, and you know, let's keep going. I'll I'll tell you about this when we when we do our Thanksgiving check in. But this is this is related. All right, we'll come back to that. We'll come back. All to right. That. All right. Well, tonight we discuss the tension between church as institution and church as prophetic voice does organization and structure and an increasing size does that inhibit the church from being a revolutionary or countercultural movement we'll get into that and we've got a great quote from dietrich bonhoeffer to sort of uh, set the stage for that and also we're going to discuss are we born as kind and compassionate beings is that inherent uh, in our DNA, or is that something that we cultivate and nurture and our settings in which we uh, live um, sort of draw those things out of us? So we'll get into those things and no doubt a bit more. The short answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the teaser. 
all of the, the teaser. My name is Brian Burkoff. I am uh, a pastor in the United Church of Christ, pastor of Holland UCC in Holland, Michigan, and author of the book Pub Theology, Beer, Conversation, and God. And tonight I am drinking a uh, Bruegel uh, Bach beer. It is a dark lager from Belgium, uh, and it's nice and nice and malty and, and toasty and just good for these cooler November days. And with us uh, tonight, Ogan Holder. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. And I am Reverend Ogan Holder of Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts, author of Rants to Revelation. Uh, hold on. I got to do a Marco Rubio stretch over here and get get a copy of the book <laughs> for the video. Unabashedly Honest Reflections on Life, Spirituality, and the Meaning of God, celebrating its five-year anniversary. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, oh. Rants to Revelations. Pick up the special five-year edition copy, which is just like the first-year edition. Um, it's, it's like like it was just published. Um, so, and tonight I'm drinking, um, um, sticking with my porter, my porter trend. Again, the dark and the Maltese for the holidays. This is uh, 1881 Porter Bear by Zwick. Zwick, how do you, how do you pronounce that? Z y w i e c. Zwick. Oh. I think you're good. Yeah. We'll go with that. Um, dark Porter beer. Um, never had this before, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, let me know what you think. It looks good, I must say. You know, I was torn between this and um, some rum and bourbon infused eggnog because. Well, yeah. Like eggnog, um, but yeah. I thought I would save that for maybe a. A holiday show or at least when we get into december because as we were discussing earlier before the before the we record started the audio in our pre-show um it doesn't feel quite christmasy yet even though we're past thanksgiving so yeah so, is it is it christmasy are we in the holidays uh the holiday season or is there a little buffer where we were in the holidays for thanksgiving and now that it's november post thanksgiving pre-December is this sort of like a no man's land where there's no holiday right now I, I think what happened I think it's a buffer because this is one of those years where the first Sunday of Advent is not right after Thanksgiving unless you go to my church unless yeah I meant to ask you about that <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so we kind of have that I think that little buffer uh, you know we got the frenzy of all this that's Thanksgiving selling weekend, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, you know, now we're on Given Tuesday. By the way, it's Given Tuesday. We're recording this, but you're right. You'll hear the audio after the fact. Um, I forgot to mention this last week and maybe the week before. I am on the last few days <clears throat> of my no shave, my annual no shave November campaign. Uh, Brian is the bearded one on the show. I don't ever do a beard, but I do in November. It's a movement where good. we raise uh, funds for and awareness around cancer and funds for research. So the whole idea is during the month of November, you not shave. This is for both men and women, not shave. And the money you would have saved, you donate to No Shave November. I got a page up. Um, I've been posting about it on Facebook and stuff. But um, so, yeah, so this is the beard and it gets whiter every year. Every year, you know, there's more gray in different places. Um, and so it's only a few more days left. So if you haven't heard this um, between now and the first of December, um, head over to my page and 
maybe make a donation. And while while I'm going on, also want to throw some congratulations to um, my grandmother's bakery, Carter's Bakery in Barbados, was just awarded um, by the local paper the best salt bread on the island, the award for the best salt bread on the island. We are like the number one bakery. Salt bread is like the staple bread product on the island. And we're number one. Um, my grandmother Woo-hoo! is deceased, but the rest of my family are carrying on that tradition. And and we won. There's a fun video of my aunt uh, being notified about the award. And in true Barbadian Caribbean fashion, she's being told that you've just won this prestigious award. And her response is, thank you, but you didn't tell me you were coming, so now I'm not dressed for the occasion. So there was, <laughs> there was a complaint. <laughs> That's awesome. People Gotta say have the heads up. They, they don't understand how far I've come. <laughs> nice that's hilarious well that's very cool that's very cool man i that just makes my mouth water just hearing about it dude man anytime y'all are ready come on down like you you guys have a stand invitation i we will put you up free room and board i mean be awesome you gotta get yourselves there and i know you got a clan but um it could be done though it could be done and i could be done uh, sometimes you have those like flash sales you know like two hundred dollars plan ahead and do it right that could happen do it right. I'm serious. We should do this. Pub theology in Barbados. Why not? Why not? Why not? So, how was your Thanksgiving, my friend? And did you? Uh, what kind of stuffing did you have at Thanksgiving? And did it did it meet the the Ogan standard? So uh, Thanksgiving was was pretty phenomenal. Um, my I went to my girlfriend's family. She's got uh, aunt, uncle, cousins who live in. Uh, Severna Park, Maryland. So I spent Thanksgiving with them. They ended up with 24 people around the Thanksgiving table. Wow. Um, including some last minute additions they didn't know were coming, but it, uh, it we got we kids ranging from like, I don't know, 12, 13, all the way up to 80. All the way up to your age. Yeah, really. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> all the way up to my age. Um, but it was, it was a fabulous feast. I was there for about three or four days. Um, the, the, the thing I was saying earlier was we were having this discussion about um, I don't wear a collar in my tradition. Um, right. Unity ministers don't. Um, but it might be cool to get one because um, as I was flying, I was flying down there and I want to give a plug to Southwest because I got to the airport really early and um, my flight was maybe like at 1130 and there was a 10 o'clock or 10 15 flight board in i was like can you guys get me on there and they were like um well southwest doesn't charge you to change your flight you just pay the flight difference and that flight was like almost 100 bucks more and they waived that extra money because it was thanksgiving to say sure get to thanksgiving a little bit early wow shout out to southwest and i got there and they were like you know uh, and and I kind of had to beg a little because at first the, the first woman was like, nah, sorry, you know, you got to pay the hundred bucks. And I was like, oh, well, gee, thanks. Um, all right. I, I'll not get to Thanksgiving a little bit earlier. It's fine. I'll wait. It's all good. Um, and then the other two were like, come on, it's Thanksgiving. Good to do the, you know, just put the dude on the plane. <laughs> it's just one more seat. And so do you think if you'd have had a collar, there would have been a higher sympathy or less? Well, sympathy? that was the discussion. If I was wearing a, a collar that. They would probably be like, oh, look, a man of the cloth. Let's let oh. him 
go on instead of this like you know this grungy looking dude in like you know a hoodie who hasn't shaved who hasn't shaved in a month exactly <laughs> you know so so that was a whole discussion and i was thinking you know what maybe i should get an get a top from casual priest for Ooh. for travel occasions yes being, when you have the collar on come on you get some perks you know well yeah so just you know, I hear if you leave a message on our hotline, you might even win a, a casual priest top. So that could just I will call in. Are employees allowed to enter? <laughs> I don't know. I'm doubting that. But we'll check okay. with Maria. I don't know what her uh well, other than that, her... Thanksgiving was great. Um we had we had two kinds of stuff in or regular, you know, the uh we had oyster stuff and I was able to uh experiment with oyster stuff in for the first you time. You were, you were. And what, yes. what what's the consensus? Not a big fan. <laughs> not 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 a big fan. It wasn't it wasn't bad. It was actually little it was tasty but 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 so different that I was like, you know what? I yeah, I prefer the more traditional oysterless stuff. Yeah, right, right. Um but other than that, uh a plethora of food. We also had a wonderful um potluck open mic Thanksgiving uh feast at our church um on the oh, Wednesday. Oh yeah, how how was that? Oh, that was awesome. We had a huge turnout. We filled the place. I basically had two massive Thanksgiving meals, Wednesday night and Thursday night. Um, open mic was very entertaining. Lots of talented folk at our church. Uh, we had a good time. It was a good community, like coming together and sharing. Yeah. And um, this is part of it's part of what church is about. For those of us who mm. may not have family here, or you know, we prefer our family of choice versus yep. our family of origin. Um, it's great to have a community connection and that's what, you know, it's one of the great things about churches and spiritual communities. So yeah, it was, it was good. Good time had by all. Excellent. How about you? How did, how did, how did the Berghoff clan make up? Yeah, we did just fine. Um, we had a couple of stops on Thanksgiving day. We went to my folks, um, first for Thanksgiving dinner and, uh, that was, delish uh my mom did a great job and dad uh and i made my deviled eggs which is like usually my lone contribution to the thanksgiving table it's sort of a you know an appetizer and uh yeah it was it was quieter this year because my siblings were not able to join so it was just my yeah. family with my folks so it was you know it was nice and quiet and good food and and then i uh, had just enough time to turn on the fourth quarter of the line fourth quarter of the lions game and watch them lose uh, in lion fashion yeah i did call that didn't i <laughs> you, yes you did yes you did don't, don't uh, want to rub sore spot but <laughs> uh, no 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 I, you know my my passion really as a sports fan is uh, around the college football and my local baseball team so the lions i could give or take well so no no heart was broken no no why do they call them deviled eggs do we know oh this? yes yes see i posted that and someone said if the preacher makes the deviled eggs to do they are they to call them something else or do you yeah. do you exercise them eggs now holy holy ghost eggs yeah it just doesn't have the same ring you know no no it doesn't it's because they're hot and spiked because do you do you put cayenne or just paprika just paprika, though I did put some horseradish in it for a little kick. Okay, so they had a little kick. Maybe is it the spice? In it? We should look that up. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would guess it's the red from the cayenne or you know red pepper or whatever you use, um, or paprika. But it's a good question where that name comes from. Maybe a, a listener will uh, enlighten us. 
or as I like to tell my daughter, we have the world of information at our fingertips. I'll look that up. Do we? Of course, no, yes. I search for devil eggs. That's all that's going to be popping up in my Facebook feed from, from the next Yeah, yeah. Your, your sidebar is going to be like devil, devil egg eggs, recipes. you know, we'll, we'll deliver. But that, that sounds sketchy right away. You know, they got to be fresh. <laughs> Deviled eggs do not go in the uh, good good Thanksgiving leftovers category. You got to eat those day of. All right, here we go. Here we go. The term "deviled" in reference to food was in use in the 18th century, with the first known print reference in 1786. In the 19th century, it came to be used most often with spicy or zesty food, including eggs prepared with mustard, pepper, or other ingredients stuffed in the yolk cavity. Deviled egg. There you go. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. we got it. I use some regular uh, yellow mustard and then like a uh, sort of Dijon mustard and then some horseradish, little rel- little sweet relish. Usually I do dill, but we were out of the dill, so I did the sweet relish. Um, and it, 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 they were good. They were good. They were up to welcome, up to snuff. Well, welcome to Pub Theology Food Corner. <laughs> exactly. I was going to be salivating. Can we do this on show, you know? You each have 20 minutes to prepare using these ingredients only. We should do that next year, uh, like just a video only holiday show. And, you know, you're making devil eggs. I'll, I'll make something. You're making so. Oh, and so speaking of stuffing, we had um, gluten free stuffing because my mom's on a gluten free diet. So we had gluten free stuffing. And, you know, so much of stuffing is this sort of breaded stuff, but it actually right. was, it was actually really good. I find no. there's not a whole, there's not a whole like vast taste disparity between like gluten bread and non gluten bread. For me, it's more, uh, it's a texture thing most of all. Um, and and yes, the taste is a little different, but it's. But I think by the time you like season all that stuff up and whatever else you put in stuff in, it shouldn't be yeah. that tremendously different. Fair point. Fair point. So I think you, I think you got away. I think I think you got away easy there. Yeah. At least you didn't have like tofurkey or something crazy like that. No, we didn't have uh turducken or tofurkey or any of those other things. We just had some good turkey and the fixins. All right. So uh Dietrich uh Bonhoeffer, who was a uh German Christian, uh lived during uh the rise of the Third Reich, the Nazis in Germany, and he was an active resistor of the German uh, Nazi movement, and he did so, uh, you know, on political grounds, but certainly on religious grounds as well, and spoke out as a, a clergy person, as a person of faith, and said, you know, hey, this thing is off the rails, and this thing needs to be stopped. And he asked, uh, so that's a little bit of his context, and and he asked a question uh, which says, does it have to be that Christianity, which once began in such a tremendously revolutionary fashion, is now conservative for all time. And I think there, by conservative, he means kind of slow to change, kind of methodical. I don't think he means conservative like if we're thinking about our current political um, movements. So just a word on that. And then he says, is it is it so that every new movement must make its own way without the church? And must it be that the church does not see what's actually happening until 20 years later? Does it really have to be that way? So I think he's kind of lamenting that the the church often, when it comes to issues of justice or cultural movements toward uh, higher consciousness or, you know, 
whatever is often behind the game instead of leading the way. And so, you know, we can all look back, you know, however many years now we are removed from World War II and, and all denounce the Nazis, right? Um, right. Whatever our religious persuasion. But he well, was actually well, a, he was a minority voice in the church at the time. Most of the church was right on board with Hitler and the Nazis. Well, let's, let's be clear, you know, not all of us denounce them. <laughs> President Trump. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, they're really good people you. on both sides. So, I, I, Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> so like I always say, uh, when Christianity stopped being this like ragtag, rebellious, you know, off the grid yeah. spiritual movement and became the official religion of the empire, it was all downhill after that. Ah. Uh. Um, because, uh, because then it really truly became, um, a political agent in, in the sense of how we use politics today. And, and, you know, are you, are you going to follow who is in charge? Are you going to go against who is in charge? And you're right. Much of the church, uh, at that time was complicit with the rise of the Nazis. And I think part of that was maybe because, um, you know, as you look through the annals of history, we weren't quite clear how dangerous uh, the Nazi party was until it was too late. Um, you know, because there were there were people in the country, Germans asking for, you know, reform and, and Hitler became this voice that that rose on that. And it seemed then then it just went all downhill really, really fast. Um, Horrible paraphrase of World War II, uh, of, of, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, and, and Hitler was no dummy and he often used the church right. or religious um, voices. You know, Martin Luther, you know, a, a German theological hero, unfortunately had some really bad things to say about Jews. And it was kind of convenient that Hitler could say, hey, look, our hero, Martin Luther, you know, right. look at this anti-Semitism. We're going to we're going to ramp that up and people kind of were like, Oh, Martin Luther said that. Well then I'm on board or, you know? Yeah. I mean, many ministers and, and religious leaders were products of their cultural times. Yeah. I mean, when you look at Jesus and the Samaritan woman, would he compare her to, to, to dogs and said that, you know, the dogs should can eat the crumbs under the table first before you do again. Back. Yeah. The Canaanite woman, by the way, Canaanite, sorry, not Samaritan, Canaanite woman. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, so again, him and, and, you know, people keep trying to rescue him from that scripture by saying he was testing her faith. <laughs> right. To which I call BS on that. <laughs> yeah. So is it okay to say Jesus was racist? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it it's okay to say, uh, well, I mean, they but here's the thing, they weren't necessarily a different racial group, um, ethnic maybe, but you know, they they were by this time Canaanites and, and Jews, Samaritans with the amount of intermarriage that was going on, they were probably related. But yes, the Canaanites were the original inhabitants of of the land. So maybe racist isn't the right word. Um, could you say bigoted or uh, yeah, discri I, discriminating against? Oh, definitely discriminatory. <laughs> Casting aspersions. Exactly. Definitely discriminatory at the very least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But, uh, but you're right. We soften it, right? Because Jesus right. Is, is the son of God and, and lived a perfect sinless life uh, in many theological traditions. And so we don't even we don't even blink at that. We just right. 
as you said, we just give excuses and say, well, he was testing her faith and yeah. he really wasn't there for, for those people at that time. He was there for the Jews. And then later it kind of opened up after his death. Yeah. We call him the Prince of Peace and conveniently forget, you know, when he beat up all those people in the temple, mm. chased them with whips. So you love yeah. that. You love to bring that in. I loved, of course. I'm, oh. I'm like, you know, stop. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we don't, we don't <laughs> put Jesus and give him the due that he was due, but, but, but I think those stories make the case for Jesus's humanity. We always want to focus on Jesus's divinity and forget yeah. his humanity. You know, and I think when we do that, we we squarely put ourselves in the human camp and forget that we're divine as well. Um, so, so I think yeah, we can, yeah, and vice versa, and we and forget vice, that right. Jesus was human and we're also human. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, but we conveniently don't talk a lot about his humanity. I think um, we should do that more. No, I I 100% agree, and I think that fits with our topic here because. I think if we see Jesus only as spiritual or as divine, it's really easy to sort of divorce him from his um, political and cultural milieu in which he is acting as a prophetic voice against not only the religious abuses, but also the, the um, political oppression, the um, imperial presence of Rome. And if we see him as a human who is being a voice that's countercultural, then that might encourage us as followers of his to think, how are we called to do that today? And and I think to your point, it's it's the both and don't, just don't choose one. To, to back to the original question though about uh, from Bonhoeffer's quote and about the church really being slow to act. Yeah. I don't know so much that I'm going to give cut the church a little slack here. I don't think it's so much the church being slow to act as the church initially focusing on what the church is there to focus on, which is spiritual welfare. Mm. So I think um, when, as issues arises, the church's response is first to remind people that, um, that every, as, as we often say in unity, every problem has a spiritual solution. So, so, so the church's job is to, I think, primarily first remind people you have spiritual tools that you can apply in your life so you're not like, you know, overwhelmed and stuck in despair. Uh, you know, you're people of, of hope, you're people of faith, um, you're people of prayer. Um, apply these tools. Let's, let's remind you about that first. And yeah. then, you know, can take it to the next level of being a, a true voice for justice and change. But I think by the time we get to that, you know, other organizations or groups or people who are just about you know, speaking to the oppressors have have had their say, and it looks like we're late by comparison. I don't think mm. we're late. I think we're just um, initially staying in our wheelhouse, and I don't think there's anything inherently wrong about that. Mm. I'm wrestling with what you're saying here. I'm. I hear you, and I think uh, absolutely the church is there to nurture and encourage spiritual connection, spiritual growth and transformation. And yes, out of that is going to come a consciousness which will have a voice about how we're living and treating each other. And so I think you're right. If we if we only do the prophetic voice, then we're, we can easily do it from wrong intention, from a wrong inner place, and we might actually cause more harm than good. And so I think it is good to 
focus on inner transformation so that I'm coming from a grounded place of, of connection and peace. And that that comes through the way that I have that voice. But I wonder if there are times where, man, we just got to get out there and, and name it what it is and not sit here and say, Hey, I need to go pray about this. No, it's just effing wrong. And we're going to speak up on it. You know, if we're denying people uh, entry into our country or we're deporting uh, individuals and separating families, I don't need to pray about that. I need to speak up about that. I think you need to do both. I think you need to pray first to get some clarity on what you're going to say. <laughs> so, Good. so I, yeah, yeah, I agree about the speaking up. I agree about the signing petitions. I agree about, you know, uh, going to march and protest. I am for all that. Um, yeah. But, but let's do so first from a, a centered prayerful place. You know, Good. let's do yeah. so from a place of outrage, not from a place of anger and being enraged, as I like, yeah. as I like to say. No, that, that's good. That's good. And I guess I was thinking about, I think you're right. Yes, I do need to pray about it and I need to constantly be in prayer. And that's, you know, part of uh, an important and solid yeah. spiritual life. So yes, there needs to be prayer. I guess I was thinking in terms of, I don't need to pray to think about what I think about it. That's the way I was thinking about it. Like gotcha. I don't need to, I don't need to ask for, uh, revelation about, you know, should we treat people right with compassion and with justice? Right. I kind of feel like some of that is pretty explicit in Jesus' teachings and just in, you know, kind of common sense. But, well, I, but, I, I I agree with you on those points. Uh, the I think the prayer prayer happens between the thought and the action Yeah, uh, uh, about things. And, you know, we're also in a place where dependent on what denomination you belong to, or how much you value job security, there's also a hesitation yeah. on, on many ministers to to speak these things for fear of, you know, yes. people from their from their congregation. Um and it's 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 an it's an interesting road to to walk because I mean ultimately is there's there's that integration of who you are authentically as an individual and a minister and the needs of your church and your congregation. So, you know, if you if you are being your authentic self and speaking out against these things, and this is not what your congregants want to hear, and lessen them, and every Sunday you, you're seeing empty your pews and empty your seats, um, you know, then you're not you're not meeting the demands of your community. You're not creating community. So for me, it's all about how you present it, yeah. and how you speak to it. And I think once you speak to it from a spiritual and a biblical perspective, I think you're going to be okay. And, you know, for me, again, going back to Jesus, he was always one to speak out against injustice. Um, but he also always did it. He quoted scripture himself. You yeah. know, he, he referred to to being compassionate towards the human as being a godly act not just following a rule so yep. so i think and, as long he, as and we, he just and he went off alone for prayer all the time exactly so i think as long as we can we can we can uh um present it in a way again from that spiritual perspective i, I think we're we're gonna be okay and again it's treading that line between are we here to tell or tell our congregants what to do or we or are we here to give them tools and questions so that they can discern what's theirs to do. 
Mm. Um, and and some days I think it's more one than the other, but generally I always tend to lean towards, I'm going to give you questions and tools for you to kind of like wrestle with this and discern what's yours to do. I don't want to be here. I don't think it's my job as a minister to tell you what to do. I think it's mine to say, you know, be with, you know, struggle with this, be with this, you know, are the actions in your life and the choices you're making supporting what you say you believe from a spiritual perspective? You know, uh, and we, we talked about, we kind of hit on this a little when we were talking with Kevin a few weeks back, you know, is, 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 you know, gun ownership and gun use compatible with uh, Christian theology that speaks of peace, you know, right. in, instrument of death. Um, and, and there are some people who will say yes to that. Um, and I can't, right. Clearly, right. I can't tell them they're wrong, but it's my. It. I think it's incumbent upon me to bring up that question for some who may have never considered it before. You know. So, so I think when we look at it that way, it almost seems like yes, the church. I mean, the church is in and of itself a slow-moving organization, Um, but but it's up to it. I, I I think that's almost a better place to be. Let people take their time to come to a consensus as a community. This is not, you know, this is not what we want to be, or this is who we want to be, and this is the action we should take. Um, and we as ministers serve as, I don't even want to say guidance. It's, it's you know, it's, but that's kind of what we are. A, a Buddhist friend of mine once said, um, I, I, I told him, you know, I am, this was a few years ago. I said, I've gotten clear that as a minister, you know, I can lead people to the water, but they're necessarily not going to drink. Yep. And said, your job is not even to lead people to the water. Your job is just to stand in the field. And that shifted my whole view of what, of, of my approach to ministry. And it, it, it blew my mind. Yeah. And, nice. Oh yeah. That's, that makes so much more sense. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I hear you about the uh, the tension um, about how how the church should address uh, societal realities, political realities, um, and what its role is there. And it, I think there is some important navigation that has to be done. I like I like your way of giving people tools to ask questions and to go deeper, and then to live out their own values. I think that's a really um, important insight and approach. Uh, and I, you know, I think many folks would say, like initially just have a, a visceral reaction. Oh, I don't want to hear any politics in church. You know, I don't want to hear you right. reference a healthcare bill or a tax plan or anything like that, right? Or, or you know, legislation about climate change. I don't want to hear any of that at church, right? I only want spiritual stuff. And yet it's interesting. I think many would many of those same folks would look back at World War II in that setting and say, Bonhoeffer was exactly right to oppose Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And why didn't more Christians do it? And without realizing that that was a political action, that they, a prophetic political action they were doing at the time that wasn't popular. And most Christians did not support them in Germany at that time. So, you know, it's, it's easier to have clarity as, as Bonhoeffer says, 20 years 30 years or more later, yeah. sure, we have 2020 and we can see, oh, we should have been more vocal about that. But in the moment, I, it's harder to discern. It is. And I always remind people that, 
uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was a minister. <laughs> we seem to conveniently forget that he preached about these things. Yeah, the civil rights movement was was was. I mean, churches were the heartbeat, and in many cases, the legs of the civil rights movement in the South. Um, the church was that place of community and hope, but it was also that place that spurred that catalyst for action um, as well. Yeah, and, right. and, you know, when, when, when people give me pushback against talking about social issues or even, you know, political related issues and stuff, I remind them that our goal is not to have this silo type relationship of spirituality and the rest of our lives. Um, no, we have to, we have to integrate them yeah. and that involves talking about them. And to your point earlier, we, we have to name, we have to name the thing, you know, and I do from my experience and every time I have to give a talk that involves some social or justice issue that's happening or something brushing against what's been labeled a political issue, which, you know, I get anxious because I'm like, who, you know, how is this going to land? And yep. more often than not, you know, my congregants say, the vast majority of them say, I'm glad you talked about this because I was having trouble trying to figure out how I'm, you know, how I'm going to integrate my spiritual beliefs around this issue. What good is meditation going to do for this? You know, you're talking about our prayer and our consciousness. What good is that going to do, you know, when, when it, when it comes to these issues and I don't see any change, it makes me feel like I am in, you know, this is, this is pointless coming to church and, and holding an intention for peace. Um, and we're seeing all this craziness. And I say, yeah, we start with holding intention for peace, but then we have to put that into um, some kind of action, uh, action steps. You know, Jesus, Jesus took action. He didn't just, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why, as we've already said, why it's important to remember Jesus' humanity. And I think, you know, regardless of uh, the Christology or view of Jesus that we hold, uh, whether fully divine or something else, any of those theologies also hold he was fully human. And so we have not just a sort of spirituality that's divorced from real life. We we're invited to an embodied spirituality in which we live out the, you know, live out uh, the inner transformation in community, in physical ways. Jesus didn't just tell the hungry people, the 5,000 to pray about it. He actually gave them bread. Yeah. Yes, he did. Or, you know, if you believe one version of the story, he, <laughs> he used the little boy sharing as an example of we should all share and everybody oh, share. So they just know. needed to see it happen. <laughs> Either way, like, either way, he was the catalyst. He was the he was the agent of transforming people, so the needs uh, were met. You know, so you know, you know I me. Mean? I'm always I'm always going to be the uh, the cynic when it comes to Jesus and his miracles. <laughs> yeah, 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 but but I think it's important to remember that you know, and I think if our if our spirituality is primarily one of Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for my sins so that I can go to heaven after I die. You know, yeah, I can see that you wouldn't want to hear about, um, you know, social issues or uh, anything that sort of has a prophetic edge. You don't want to hear about racial reconciliation. You don't want to hear about 
caring for creation. You don't want to hear about uh, immigrants. I disagree with that. I disagree with that because even if that's your Christology, what is the what is what is the what is the mandate? Which is you know believe in me, and to believe in someone is to follow their example. To believe in someone is to do what they've said. So even if that's your Christology, you know you should still be doing the acts of kindness and compassion and uh you know i hear you and i hear you and many do do that and it's yeah, a, you know it's certainly you can have that theological view and and do awesome things that the world really needs but i think i have seen some hold that view and just say hey you know we, sh- we shouldn't get involved with anything of course yeah. in the background you know we're marching in pro-life and anti-abortion things but that's not political because we have the right view and if we have the right view, then it's not actually political. There you go. All right, that was tongue. That was tongue in cheek. If you couldn't tell, I think uh, I think that was all tongue, no cheek. You know, ooh, I was hoping it was a little cheeky, but maybe not. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, so is is the church ever ahead on an issue, um, or are we kind of in? You know, you said we're sort of inevitably sort of arriving. A little late, but don't you think if we are coming to a place of uh, deep peace, grounded in connection to God and each other, that we might actually have an insight ahead of time once in a while? Um, yeah, I think I think we do, but again, I think it's not about. I think it's not about. Uh, we're 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 not gang leaders here. It's not a gang, so it's not about. No, I get that, but but let's, for example, the the LGBTQ inclusion issue. Right. The vast majority of churches in the United States are simply opposed to gay marriage, to gay membership. To I don't know. Any... That's true. I think I, the vast. Are you serious? I'm very serious. So I think I I because okay. So when you look at church like uh like Methodist churches, okay, yeah. um. Even even if the official Methodist line is not that, the vast majority of Methodist churches, uh, uh, Presbyterian churches, UCC, anything that falls under the New Thought umbrella, I think, I mean, Episcopalians ordaining gay priests. So I think sure. that the vast majority of, of I think the vast majority of Christian movement, you know, is has has come along. Definitely uh, evangelical, yes. I disagree. And, not evangelicals. Right. No, not the evangelicals. No, no, no. no. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're just the loudest. <laughs> well, they're the loudest, but I also think numbers wise, that aren't they number of simply number of churches in favor or opposed to sort of, let's say, uh, support of um, gay membership and gay involvement in the church and gay marriage. I would say there are more opposed to that than in favor. Maybe from the sheer numbers, but not maybe officially, but not in actuality. Because again, even if you poll, you know, young, even young evangelicals sometimes, or young, young people in traditionally say anti-gay movements, they're like, we don't care. It's change. No, no, it's changing right. rapidly, and that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so I, you're but, you're you're more hopeful than I, and I'd be interested in in seeing some numbers. Uh, to help us navigate that. Um, so, but but in any case, the church right. is late to that party. 
regardless of where we are right now. Well, sure, we're late to the party because we got this Bible that has a lot of Old Testament stories that says, you know, right, right. That, we, that we take out of context and out of historical, you know, context, and and we say, oh, look, the Bible is 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 speaking out against homosexuality. So, so yes, we we might be late to the party on that. But here's the thing about I think the church is that, you know. We might be late to the party, but once we arrive, I think the party's really just getting started. Oh, look at this guy. You know, but seriously, we're we're like we're like the cool dude who shows up late for the party, but then it's like because now now I think that we have so many churches. I mean, look at them, look at the United States Methodist contingent. They're ready to split from the global Methodist body over this issue. Sure, sure. Yeah. But I just want to say that's not cool. It's not cool. Like if we're talking slavery and the church is late to the party, but because we're cool and now we finally realize God doesn't want us to own slaves, that's not cool. And I don't think that's cool on this issue that we're talking about either. You're right. I, I, I'm not okay. So I'm not saying it's cool (laughs) that we held the view for so long, but I'm saying that once we get to the party. Once we get to that place of realization, if, if we're still invited, if the door is still open, but I think it is. I, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. I think it is because I think it is because now we can provide that place uh, for spiritual unfolding that that everyone wants. Um, and so yes, we are late to the party, and and we were initially trying to stop the party from happening. You know, right. Right, that, that's uh, and, the... and there's no forgiving that. There's no excusing that. There's no. There's no. Yeah, that off. But um, I always, I mean, for me, it's always better late than never. One, and we got to have some kind of, you know, this is what grace and forgiveness is about. You know, it took yeah, us a while. Yeah, and I hear you. I hear you. And I, but I think, sorry, we're talking. I'm talking over you. Uh, no, in our, given our current, um, you know, current setting, right. How many percent of white evangelicals voted for our current president? That just shows me we got a ton of work to do in the church. And what does it even mean to be Christian if you can think uh, that endorsing um, this person who just seems to represent all the opposite things that Jesus stood for or even a decent human being would stand for would think that's the person I should vote for? I just think we got a ton of work to do in the church uh in our nation, you know, which is a wide swath, right? With a lot of diversity, but yes, I, I, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. And at the same time, there's been enough of folks in churches in other movements who have changed their minds about things who are no longer, you know, discriminating, discriminating against, um, gay individuals when they were 10 years ago who right. who for them it no longer matters who for them can so so for me it's it's you know i don't know if there's anything we can do with the evangelical movement in terms of of holding on to to the to, to the rigid view holding on to hope for them so i'm not i'm not well i'm i'm gonna put my i'm gonna put my energy on where there is hope <laughs> Uh, so, so I don't know. There's, there's any hope. I mean, I mentioned, I mentioned my family in Barbados earlier. You know, when I, when, every time I go home, I'm, I am telling you, there's no, 
there's there's really no change in that scenario in terms of yeah. what they believe about that issue. It doesn't matter that we have members in our family who are gay. It doesn't matter that that even when those members in our family who are gay show up with their partners and everybody has a great time and are nice and they love one another and so on. None of that matters. Their belief still is, you know, homosexuality is sin and these people are going to burn in hell and we're just going to pray for them. So, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to devote a lot of energy to try and change in their minds. Yeah. You know, all I can, all I can do is, but to your point about hope, my mind was changed. Yeah. You know? So, so yeah. me too. So, so, so we, I think people will come to that on on their own. I don't think there's there's nothing we can do to convince them about that. And I think our our hope continues to lie in um in our young people who are more about, you know, what is what am I actually experiencing here as opposed to what I'm being told I should be experiencing here. Oh. And, and 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 it doesn't matter when you when you poll a lot of, you know, young Republicans in their twenties, millennial Republicans. The, 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 they don't care. They don't care if you're gay. They don't care if you're queer. They don't care if you're transgender. It's not on their radar per se. And, right. and they've been countless of polls uh, that that reflect that. And change is only going to come generationally. You know, I mean, this this is the truth. Change change is going to come one death at a time. True enough. True enough. Though I will say there were a number of millennials carrying torches in Charlottesville. So let's not forget that either. Yes. Yes, but again, numbers wise. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I hear you. That yeah. you know, don't, don't, don't. They they had their own, you know, tiki torch light. We don't need to shine more of a spotlight on them. <laughs> uh, those were those were few in number, and yes, they were noisy, and yes, they're coming out of the shadows. I always say to people, I'm I am glad we have our current president because. He's given them permission to come out of the shadows, and now we can see them. See and who they are, and yeah. who they are, and we can see that this is not an issue that went away because we had a black right. president for eight years. So now we can really face that shadow piece of this country and ourselves, and and do something about it. And again, back to where we started, what do we do about it? First, let's go into prayer. Let's go into silence. Let's connect. Yeah. Um, with God within and say, all right, what's mine to do here? Right. About this. What's mine to say? What's mine to donate to? What's mine to march in? You know, what what's mine to sign on to? Um, and and go from there. And and I think the transformation is happening. It is happening. You know, we you and I are not gonna see the end result of it in our lifetime. I'm pretty clear about that because we're this is a slow, this is a slow moving train. Mm. So so I don't think we're gonna we're gonna see the end of it. We'll um, see where we are by episode 500. Yeah. You and I not getting in the promised land, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> mm, man, so close. We, we made it out of Egypt, but, but <laughs> we, we in that 40-year wandering, and, and we can lay our bones down in the desert. Sorry. Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> hey, all I want to say is, look, we live like five states apart, but we can enjoy a fine beverage and have a good conversation. Even so. So if that's not the promised land, it's pretty close. But look how far we've come, though. Look how far we've come in our lifetime. You, you know, we, we're seeing more and more uh, equality. You know, we've legalized same-sex marriage. Um, you know, you know, we're 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 going after the 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 pay, the gender pay inequality. Like we, there's transformation happening. You know, I like this. 
as yeah. I as I've Agreed. often brought up in the in the past, you know, uh, interracial marriage did not become a legal thing nationwide to what in the sixties, you know, really late, yeah, ten years before I was born, like less than a generation before I was born, you know, so so it's these these things are happening, and I think they're happening at a quicker pace as as well. Many of us want to see change now, right? But again, when you look at when you look at how slowly things have evolved, I mean, there's been more, there's been more evolutions, uh, I think socially in the last hundred years and the previous thousand before it. So. Yeah, we, that may well be true. That's right. And, yeah, and I think so, with our global communications, our, exactly. our awareness of what's happening in the world is so on the increase that there's just a, a, sort of a, a wider connect natural wider connect connectedness communal yeah. consciousness that we all hopefully can support each other moving forward you know i think i think it sometimes it feels like uh, we live we live in this age where if you say the wrong thing you're going to get crushed on social media and, and sure. is that really helping well i think so right it doesn't feel good to be called out on something but at the same time i think I think we are moving towards more light and more uh, whole ways of living in community. I, I I agree. I agree. And this is, I think, the role the church should be focusing on, mm. which is continuing to to provide that uh, place of connection and support. You know, because a lot of things are happening really fast and. We're we're you know we're hyper connected at this point. We're almost too connected at this point, I think, and and yeah. we're still struggling with that and what that means, and um and you know everybody's under a microscope and big big brother is tracking us, you know I uh you know I did I did some shopping on cyber on was it Cyber Monday, yeah, those those Google those Google Homes and Google Mini uh devices were like too cheap to pass up and the techno geek and music go oh, i gotta grab some of those now google's gonna be listening to everything i say i mean it probably already is with my cell phone so you know yeah and we're doing this on google hangouts so they're listening exactly to this. exactly so i'm just saying now so so what is what what does that mean and so the church i think it's the church's role to evolve and say in this technologically crazy world let's not forget the original connection that we have with source you know let's unplug from all of this craziness and you know plug into something we've carried around since we've been on this planet um so i think i think that's our role to remind people of ultimately behind all this what what really matters what's really important where's the true source of knowledge and wisdom and love and compassion and um so we have to evolve and you're right the church is very slow in evolving because you know, if it ain't broke, why fix it? And and we are yeah. we are we are really slow to realize when it's broken. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's the nature of institution to sort of uh, yeah. adapt slowly and so forth. Um, so in, in you know, we asked uh, at the beginning of the show, do you think we're born uh, kind and compassionate? Is that something innate in us? And you said yes. And if your answer to that is yes, then why do we need church or spiritual community? Well, my answer to yes was was yes yes to all the options you provided because <laughs> because <laughs> you said a few things about if you're born this way or if you got to learn it or whatever and I'm like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah right right uh, is it so you you would say it's both and that we're born with a natural 
predisposition to being kind and compassionate, but we need to learn more of it. Yes, because when you know when you look at all the research around babies and toddlers, their natural inclination is to share and help each other out, and or to cry for their mom, or or yes, that that too. Uh, well, you know, unless you teach them baby signs, because if there's baby signs, they know how to communicate. Remember, mm -hmm. when babies don't know how to speak, they have to vocalize, and the vocalizations come out as crying. True. So you know, when when Joy was a baby, and we taught her baby signs. She did not cry in tantrum a lot because she had a way to communicate. Wow. So you guys were such cool parents. We were the cool parents. Now, granted, uh, <laughs> out of all the signs we taught her, she pretty much only used three. <laughs> well, that's three more than my kids learned. I'm, I'm hungry. I want more, and I'm done. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Exactly. That's, that's all and I just wet my pants. <laughs> <sighs> I didn't need a sign for that. I could smell it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so when you look at at, at babies, yeah, that's that's what they did. Toddlers, their natural inclination is to share and 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 support and help. And somewhere along the line, they learn not to do that because, at some point, I mean, this is all our story. At some point, we we got hurt. We got hurt emotionally by sharing or giving or loving. And we started to learn to protect ourselves and we create a shell. We create a shell, built the wall around the heart, all that kind of stuff. And we had to relearn how to do that. And some of us relearned in church and, you know, yeah. church and, and truly when you look at the thing that ties every major religion and spiritual movement together, it's about giving, it's about love. It's about compassion. Those, those are like central tenets yep. to, to every movement. So, yeah, sometimes you got to relearn that. Yeah, and I, I agree with you, but what about, uh, what about the sort of genetic reality of our evolutionary process that sort of needed tribalism just in order to survive, right? That we sort of learn to defend ourselves against potential enemies and that we learn to sort of otherize people who aren't part of our group and learn to sort of be defensive and, and sort of circle the wagons for us versus sure. them. I think some of that is also genetically in us along with whatever kindness and compassion. Well, we that's, have. that's our reptilian brain. But we also have these frontal lobes that tell us we don't have to follow what the reptilian brain tells us to do. And our reptilian brain does serve a purpose. It helps keeps us keep us alive, which I'm glad. Yeah. Um, but at the same point, it we have we have our frontal lobes, which are much more evolved. And I think where we run into trouble is when we don't realize that the reptilian brain has hijacked us, taken yes. us over. Yes. And 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 we gotta shut it down. You know, we you know the great the, the best analogy i heard uh, from from tara brock buddhist teacher She's she said great. when moments of stress arise we flip our lids we forget our frontal brain and we go back to the reptilian brain which is all about you know fight flight or freeze yes uh, and that none of those ever end well <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that's i think that's so important and i think that is uh, part of an important spiritual practice is recognizing when we're operating out of that space of fear and that sort of, yeah, um, natural response, as you said, of fight, flight, or freeze, where it's always antagonistic, right? Instead right. of relaxing back, taking a deep breath, thinking about 
ourselves, the person, the situation in a sense of compassion, in a sense of all will be well and seeking uh, an answer that we can't quite see yet. But we tend to sort of react to things and we live in a very reactive culture and our, you know, our news cycle sort of operate based on fear. Our whole, you know, um, national defense is built on fear and we actually better preemptive strike because otherwise they're going to come get us. Like that's all this sort of fight, flight or freeze mentality that has a very shallow spiritual base. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 this is, again, an important part that the church plays. I, I, I think that, you know, the church has done a good job and needs to do a better job of reminding people not to respond from the reptilian brain take a deep breath go into prayer go into meditation yeah. you know what whatever whatever tools your your religion or your your spiritual movement supports and get connected to something deeper reconnect to your frontal lobes reconnect to your heart reconnect to places that are not based in fear and make decisions from those places um and it's and it's harder when we have like you know the ongoing news cycle instant and and we also become in that instant gratification society more and more right. you know i remember i remember when you know taking something taken two weeks in the mail was you know fast now amazon two-day prime is not fast enough i actually yeah. dude i actually the other day paid more to get like next day shipping yeah you did for an Amazon item. Right. And then after I did, I was like, what, what two days wasn't fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> I literally need this tomorrow. I, you know, it was kind of like, what am I thinking? So, so we're becoming more and more like now, 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 um, and, and instant response. And these things take time. Yeah. They take time and, and we, and we gotta, we gotta breathe a little bit. And, um, and I think I so so again back to that original question about the church um, being late. I think it appears in the public eye that the church is always very late to a lot of issues, and sometimes internally we are. But again, I think that um, if the church is doing what it does well, it's encouraging people to take a breath. Mm. You know, Absolutely. pause, Amen. go into prayer, go into meditation. Um, get away from the fear before action, and that seems long in a like a really like hyper hyper time construct culture that we are in, the instant gratification culture that we've become. The your your you know you get five minutes of fame and then you're done. Culture that we we have become to pause for breath, for prayer, for meditation, for internal work seems like a very slow response and you know sadly you know the first responders and i don't mean or brave men and women i'm talking about like social media online news th those who chomp at the bit first get rewarded they get the most likes they get the most retweets and we've become conditioned to that equals success as opposed to a mindful response which sometimes takes time indeed indeed that sounded like a pretty good final word to me. I don't know. Do you have anything no, wait, to add? No, no. We got to talk about this Christ the King thing. Because I don't oh, know. You want to get into that? Let's get into that in the post show. Okay. Because I don't know what that is. I... Yeah. Let's let. So this past Sunday, I'll just 
highlight it here and then we'll 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 Set get to it, it in yeah. the post show and we'll we'll try to include some of that in the podcast but um this past sunday on the church calendar was christ the king sunday uh which is generally the last sunday in ordinary time before advent begins uh so we may discuss uh that for a moment um not only that sunday but just the theology of christ as king uh, but we'll get to that in the post show. Any any final word for now uh, on church as prophetic voice, church as institution, or cultivating kindness and compassion? Um, I I think all the above. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, uh, different. The, the church wears many hats, and different times calls for the church to play different roles. Mm. Sometimes the church is that instigator of the social justice sometimes is that place where we just come and take a breath and and find solace and community um and i and i think a good church knows when to play those different parts um and and i think all the above are okay and i think it's okay to be one i think it's okay for you know if a church says now is our time to be that place of comfort and community when everybody else is being a strong voice for social justice it's okay because you know why there will always be people in different in different uh, mindsets you know so when the you know while there are people out there on the on the marching lines and being loud and vocal they're always also going to be people who are overwhelmed and in despair and need some solace need a place to land need some need some soft arms of comfort and and the church can be that too. Amen. Amen. And uh, I would just say, don't be afraid to let your spiritual life have edges, edges that bleed out into the world and how you interact with human beings and how you think we should be as a society. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the peacemakers. He told us to love our enemies. Uh, and so those are very uh, things with you know, things with political edges to them. Uh, and, you know, that's okay. But but also don't tie in your faith with any political movement or candidate because that's always going to fail in the end. So it needs, yeah, to be a, well. needs to be a heart trajectory and a morals and values trajectory and um, needs to happen in community. So there you have it. There you have it. Thanks, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. Please connect and spread the word on social media. Thanks to Aaron, who tweeted at us, said, I'm two episodes into Pub Theology Live, and I like the banter. So thanks for tuning in, Aaron and others. Uh, we love to hear from our listeners. And remember, you can listen anytime, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or iTunes. Please rate us in those venues. That would be awesome. Helps more people find us and realize, you know, this is kind of a cool show. If you'd like to find a Pub Theology conversation in your town head over to the official directory at pubtheology.com and if you don't see one there you can find some tools to start your own and once again thanks to our sponsors wink wine club who you'll find at trywink.com slash pt live and casual priest at casualpriest.com. until next time friends drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing <laughs>
and we we were going to tell our listeners that we are going to do a ask oh, we ask the ministers episode next yes. week. Uh, so send us your questions, tweet us your questions, post to Facebook, send us a, an email at info at puptheology.com. Let us know what you would like us to talk about or just a question you have for either of us personally. If you've been a listener and you, you know, you kind of have an idea about our theological views, we'd love to hear what your questions are for us. Especially holiday and Christmas related questions because tis the season. But, but the anything, season. anything will do. This is this ask the minister. So I never heard of that Christ the King thing, Christ the King Sunday. What is that all about? What? Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, somebody when I, so my church started Advent a week early because as it stands this year, the fourth Sunday in Advent is also Christmas Eve. Yes. We decided we're not going to do a fourth Sunday in Advent and a Christmas Eve service all in one day. So we said, let's just bump it up a week and then we can just let Christmas Eve stand on its own. But when we did that, you just broke the rules. We broke, we uh, we said there are no rules. It's a new church. We can do what we want. <laughs> but we didn't realize that we just, you know, deleted, uh, did not acknowledge or celebrate Christ the King Sunday, which I'm not sure I've ever celebrated or acknowledged. So what what is it? I've never heard of it. Well, apparently, um, it was instituted in 1925 by Pope Pius XI. Uh, it says. The official title is The Solemnity of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, or The Feast of Christ the King. <laughs> Wait, say that again? Well, the idea is that it's celebrating that Christ, celebrating Christ's kingship, that he has dominion over all creatures, okay. all creation, and that he reigns now, and he will reign uh, in fullness when he comes again. Gotcha. So if I don't believe that, I don't have to celebrate it. <laughs> I would say probably so. Okay. Doesn't sound like you really believe it either. Do you believe that? <laughs> well, I have to say the kingship language uh, can be a little troubling because it it is that sort of imperial language. It's that sort of um, our religion is the right religion and Jesus is going to rule everyone. And if you follow you know, Buddha or Muhammad or some other religious tradition, or you're not religious, the king's going to kick you out and you're going to be left on the outside of the gate. You know, I just don't, all of that seems to come along with this Christ the King sort of theological view. And I'm uncomfortable with that. I rather like to think of God drawing us into, into a oneness, into a relationship in which all are welcome along the varied paths that brought them to wherever they landed. Um, so, yeah, the whole kingship language does not do a lot for me. So I have a few questions. One, did you celebrate this in your church previously? No. So why is it an issue that you've like skipped over it? Well, because I've moved into a into a tradition that pays a little more attention to the church calendar, and I'm following the uh, Revised Common Lectionary, which you know many mainline churches are following. So we, I have been doing that. And apparently Christ the King Sunday is in that calendar. And I just didn't realize that was much of a thing or something we should pay that, attention to. That damn lectionary, man, will get you in trouble. <laughs> so to be honest, if we even if we had not bumped up Advent early, I would have preached on the lectionary text for that day, which was right. Matthew 25 and the parable of the sheep and the goats. You better believe I would have preached on that. One of my favorite texts kind of kind of finds its way in most weeks anyway. But I, I probably wouldn't have acknowledged Christ the King Sunday. Okay. I got you. I got you. 
All right, my talk to you later. Good night. See you again. Bye bye.